Hi, I'm Paul Stanley, and as you can see, we're on tour right now. This is a worldwide tour. It takes us all kinds of places you couldn't imagine. Tonight it's Gothenburg, Sweden, hence this coat. I want to tell you a little background into what's going on right now. About 10 years ago in London, I saw a show which really changed for me how I saw the possibilities in musical theater. When I saw The Phantom of the Opera, I decided right then and there that someday this would be something for me to do. This would be the vehicle for me to make my entrance into a whole new field. That time has come now. So starting May 25th for 10 weeks, I will be your phantom. That's right, I will be living in the Toronto Pantages Theater. Of course, I'll be in the basement, but I will be coming up to see everybody. This is going to be a special time for me, and I promise to make it a special time for you. It will be like nothing else you've seen before. The excitement is all there again. And I think together we'll find a whole new meaning to the Phantom's kiss. I will be looking for you. I'll see you then. Thanks. Welcome to another episode of the Slam Fest podcast, where we bring the premier rock concert pregame and experience from the parking lot to the podcasting airwaves. I'm Brad. So when I was planning this podcast, the plan was to have the episodes revolve around the concerts that I had seen, while the majority of the episodes would revolve around hard rock and heavy metal bands. I mentioned I would be going out of format from time to time because I enjoy all kinds of music. One subject I haven't talked about was theater. I enjoy going to musicals and have been to a lot of them, starting with Cats on Broadway in the mid-80s when my family was visiting New York City. So during episode 52, I mentioned dropping off Mike and Matt at the Detroit airport after that OzFest 1999 concert. And after doing that, I caught that regrettable train ride to Toronto with Holly... So, yeah, so Holly and I took a a train from Windsor, Ontario to Toronto. And, uh, you know, on one hand, it was, you know, train rides are great, right? You're not, you don't have to pay attention. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm just going to chill out on this thing and, and relax. And, and well, no, you know, it was a little bit jostling (laughs) and being hung over. I, yeah, I frequented the, uh, the whatever the bathroom car or whatever they called it and uh and i I kept seeing the same obviously right the same (laughs) person as as that seated like right next to it but i i probably made five or six trips and it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't to actually use the facilities it was to throw up so not a good not a good experience at all but romantic trip along the thing <laughs> honey isn't it beautiful <laughs> oh, oh yeah it, it was not good <laughs> oh god oh oh the stories anyway so yeah so that's how the that's how the weekend ended
This episode is going to revolve around the Phantom of the Opera. No, not that Phantom of the Opera. The musical. And the two times I saw Paul Stanley in the title role. June 26, 1999 and October 16th, 1999 at the Pantages Theater in Toronto, Ontario. So this is the one and only episode that I'm going to talk about a musical. And the only reason I'm doing that is because Paul Stanley was in the title role. But quickly, my history with musicals. So I mentioned Cats that I saw in the mid-80s. Don't have the uh, ticket stub for that. However, after moving up to Michigan, we have a fantastic venue here in East Lansing called the Wharton Center, obviously attached to Michigan State University. But it gets all of the great traveling musicals. So in 1998, I saw Miss Saigon and Rent. In 1999, I saw Cats again. In 2003, I saw Jesus Christ Superstar. 2006, The Lion King and Mamma Mia. 2007, saw Wicked. 2008, saw Grease. 2011, saw Jersey Boys and Rock of Ages, which I guess I could probably do an episode on Rock of Ages since it's about about the genre of music that I, I enjoy. 2016, saw The Book of Mormon. And we saw Wicked again. And then 2018 saw School of Rock, which, again, could probably do an episode on that at some point. So, anyway, been to a lot of, uh, a lot of musicals and, and enjoy that a lot. So, Phantom of the Opera opened at the Pantages Theater in Toronto on September 20th of 1989. And sometime in 1999, early 99, it was announced that it was going to close... And Paul Stanley signed on to play the title role initially from May 25th of 99 through August 1st of 99. He ended up getting added to the last month, so September 30th of 99 through October 31st of 99. So that's a total of about 14 weeks or so that he was in that role. So I don't remember, I guess, specifically how I heard about it. It must have been, again, on the uh, on the KISS webpages, again, the infancy of the Internet. But, you know, that's probably where I saw it. And again, the advantage of, of moving up to Michigan and being close. I mean, that was a four-hour train ride over there, so it was really a no-brainer. But I do recall getting tickets for that first. And then the OzFest 99 got announced and and tried to shoehorn (laughs) that show in there when we already had the plans uh, to go to Toronto. And then obviously when he got added on to that last month, I figured, you know what, let's let's go again. And I know Andy on the Tom Petty episode kind of took a jab at me about bootlegging shows. So, yes... (laughs) So not the first time that we saw it, but the second time in October, I did sneak in the recorder and I bootlegged it. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Phantom of the Opera in in general, kind of a a synopsis, and then kind of play some some clips from the bootleg that I've got, again, specifically of of the Phantom's parts uh, to kind of put the spotlight on 
on Paul. So for those of you that don't know about Phantom of the Opera, you'll learn a little bit about it. And those of you that do, bear with me, but I figured this would be the best way to kind of go through it. So it starts off on the stage of the Opera de Paris, 1905. Old stage props are being auctioned off. The auctioneer recalls a broken chandelier and its connection with the mysterious tale of the Phantom of the Opera nearly 50 years earlier. Like magic, it begins to come to life and it rises to its former position in the auditorium as the stage of the opera reverts in flashback to the year 1861 where an opera is being rehearsed. As the star of that opera sings, the backdrop crashes down and the chorus insists that this is the work of the Phantom the star refuses to perform that night. A dancer named Christine auditions for her managers and performs that evening, and it's a success. The opera's distinguished patron, Raoul, as a young man, recognizes Christine as a childhood acquaintance. In her dressing room afterwards, Christine admits that she has a mysterious teacher whom she has never seen. She associates this disembodied voice with her dying father's promise to send an angel of music to watch over her. the phantom in her mirror, then takes his hand and disappears with him through the mirror.
The creature leads Christine deep into the caverns and waterways beneath the opera house and across a subterranean lake lit by candelabra. When they reach his secret lair, he plays a huge organ and sings of his shadowy, sensual world of music.
The next morning, Christine wakes to the sound of the phantom composing at the organ. She removes his mask and reveals his horribly disfigured face. Although he is enraged, he is reluctant to return her to the theater and only does so after realizing that her absence will cause a search. Messages are then delivered from the Phantom. Raoul is forbidden to see Christine, and another decree orders that Christine be given the lead role in the next opera. They have reckoned with the Phantom. In the first performance of the opera, he ridicules the lead by making her croak like a toad. Then a stagehand is found murdered. Christine takes Raoul up on the roof of the theater, where they will be safe from the Phantom. She tells him everything. He comforts her and confesses his love, which she returns. The Phantom witnesses their kiss. Christine completes the opera, she takes her curtain call, and the great chandelier crashes to the stage. So now there was an intermission, and then Act 2 opens with an entract, which is really a compilation of all of the themes <laughs> that are prevalent throughout this musical. Act 2 opens on New Year's Eve, 
Everyone is gathered at the opera for a masked ball. It is now six months since the chandelier incident, and Raoul and Christine have secretly become engaged. At the height of the festivities, the phantom appears on the grand staircase, dressed in red and wearing a death's head mask. He presents the score of a new opera and commands that the opera stage it. In the notes to his opera, the phantom orders that Christine not only take the star role, but that she should return to him for more training. Confused and afraid, Christine seeks comfort at her father's grave, but even there she is haunted by her angel of music. As he calls her to him, the figures of her father and the phantom seem to merge in her mind. Raoul appears and breaks the mesmeric, influenced by carrying Christine to safety. During the premiere of the opera, the phantom murders the leading man and takes his place opposite Christine. He sings passionately of his love. At the climax of the song, Christine tears the mask to expose his hideous deformity to the audience. Screaming, he grabs her and they disappear, pursued by the theater staff. Raoul, the first to reach the phantom's lair, is trapped and a rope is dropped over his neck. The monster offers Christine a choice, succumb to him or see her loved one die. Christine, feeling both terror and pity, approaches the phantom and kisses him. The kiss has a magical effect. The creature releases Raoul and urges them both to cross the lake. As they leave, he whispers, Christine, I love you. The phantom covers himself with a cloak as the mob breaks in. The cloak is moved aside, only his mask remains. So I mentioned, you know, the main themes, obviously, the Phantom of the Opera theme, the Angel of Music, Music of the Night, All That I Ask of You. So again, those <laughs> those melodies and, and themes are, are throughout the musical and are so well done. Overall, I thought Paul did a great job. You know, it's interesting, um, you know, what it took for him to actually uh, go audition and, and, and try out for this because he was surrounded by professional Broadway singers. And, you know, while his voice is not trained in that, in that way, again, I think it lent itself to it well. And overall, I think his acting um, was good enough for it. So, you know, I think it was a successful run and ending run of the musical. So between the two times that I saw it, and I'm thinking this was probably in July, Much Music in Canada had Paul in for an interview. And as heard on episode six of this podcast, Paul is not a fan of much music.
So here's some clips from that interview. And again, his dislike for much music comes out in this interview. That's a very nice sound. Absolutely. That's a very good sound. He is one quarter. He is one quarter of the hottest band in the world. I'm talking about Kiss, and he's also doing the title role of the Toronto production of Phantom of the Opera till uh, August 1st here in Toronto. Please welcome Paul Stanley. Hey. A good friend of Much Music, whether you like it or not. I'm going to say that right off the bat. As long here. as Much Music is more than a fair weather friend, that's my kind of friend. See, because I, I know that you say we don't play Kiss videos enough. I, I say we do. But I've always found that whenever I come into town with the band, all of a sudden we're all over. And then afterwards, everybody says, you can't find it. So if, if, they, if they had their way, they'd want to see Kiss 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And what's wrong with that? And what's wrong with that? Okay. I think there's a new cable a new cable channel we should Kiss do. TV? Kiss TV. Anyway, um, you take pleasure. You've made a career of taking pleasure of surprising people. Yeah. And the, the, the evolution continues with the Phantom. Yeah, you know, for me, I never want to be stuck in someone else's idea of what I'm supposed to do or can't do. And uh, for me, the challenge is always to find something that's exciting. To me, if you're scared, it means that you're doing something good. I mean, you're pushing the envelope. I don't want to do things that come so easy. I mean, it's easy to just keep doing the same thing over and over, but at the same time you're doing that, it's really great to find something else. And when I saw Phantom for the first time, I think it was about 10 years ago, I just, I was in London, I said, that's on the list, you know? And uh, when I got a call in January, if I was interested in doing it, I said, absolutely. So I had to go to New York and do a full-on audition, which is amazing, because I can't remember the last time I did an audition, but I got the job. And so far, I haven't gotten a pink slip, so I'm back there again tonight. So this has been this has been something that you want to do for a long time, then. Oh yeah, yeah. Any other things that you're wanting to do that is on the back burner that you want to divulge now? Well, I'd like to go into politics, it, but uh, no, I, you know, probably theater would be a really great, you know, really fun, fun okay. to do. Well, I'm gonna talk more about the Phantom uh, a little bit later, but for those of you in the Toronto area, you have to log us first to see uh, Paul Stanley as the Phantom of the Opera at the Pantages Theater. For outside of Toronto. We're going to give you just a little snippet. This was, this was opening night. We yes. were there with the camera. Yeah. And uh, here it is right here. Paul Stanley as the Phantom. <laughs> Let your mind start a journey through a strange new world. Leave all thoughts of the world you knew before. Let your soul take you where you long. Amazing. I've never ever heard his voice like that. I've seen Phantom on Broadway. I've seen it five different times. I thought Paul Stanley's vocal range was extremely excellent. He had a really good voice. I've seen uh, Kiss twice in concert, so I really know Paul Stanley. Beautiful show. It was absolutely fantastic. I'm very happily surprised with Paul Stanley. Help me make the music of So that little kid in there was about five? He had that bandage on his head? I paid him. What did you do to him? I paid him. Oh, okay. 
I paid him. To th I paid all those people to say how good I was. So the first time that kid saw you was probably when he was one, and maybe the second time was about three. He said he saw. Well, he knows twice. a lot. He knows a lot about Paul Stanley. You know? And it was great because sitting in the audience, there was this huge difference in ages. Well, it's really great because you know, for so long, I really think theaters had this connotations of being something for well-to-do people or people who sit there and clap like that. And theater really started out. Shakespeare was writing for the common people. He wasn't writing for you know the upper crust. So. Theater is something that should be enjoyed the same way films are. And um, Phantom is such a great vehicle for people to go get introduced to theater because it's spectacle, it's great music, there's a lot of drama. It's something that everybody can relate to. So I would like everybody to come and see this. Well, the drive to do something like this, you know, we talked about it being a dream of yours for a while. To do something like Phantom is, uh, you know, a dream come true to pass by the theater and see my name up there and then every night to have a standing ovation is really what the whole cast has gotten and the cast is phenomenal you know the show isn't only about me you know I couldn't do it without the people who are there and the cast is uh, incredible and was incredible before me and will be incredible when I leave well um, it's been described as the Phantom especially with Paul doing it is a lot like Kiss because both are successful despite what critics are saying um, there's pyrotechnics involved, there's a lot of flash. Could you see yourself doing maybe something that wasn't so Kiss-like? Oh, sure, I, I, I think that the, the similarities are just by chance, you know. Um, obviously, I, I don't think I'll be doing the sound of music very soon, <laughs> you know. But, uh, you know, Phantom is just a, a great musical. And once again, you know, the place is packed every day. And uh, audience are leaving, the audiences are leaving really thrilled. And that's really what it's about. You know, um, if critics like it, that's really good. But we should never forget that critics get free tickets. And if they like it, that's a bonus. But the people who pay their hard-earned money are really the ones that I want to satisfy. And so far, everybody's just been thrilled, which thrills me. Can you, um, can you tell who the KISS fans are in the audience during the show? Have you, have you seen it? You know, it's... Um, Everybody's, I think initially when they hired me, some people were a little leery of what the show was going to turn into or that the audience was going to suddenly turn into a rock concert. But it's very much, you know, a theater experience and people are, are very well behaved. But at the same time, they should be demonstrative and they should be vocal. There's no reason when you hear something that you like, you shouldn't clap. If you find something funny, you should laugh. There's nothing that's inappropriate in the theater except to disturb the show. Okay. Now, um, I got, we were, much was on set for a lot of the filming of Detroit Rock City when Kiss was in town, and there was a scene at the Sky Dome, which was supposed to be backstage, and there was a lot of, uh, a lot of pretty girls walking around with very skimpy clothing. And, and we talked about this, and one of the things is that that was a lot like a Kiss backstage show. Mm -hmm. The, uh, the funness, yes. funness of that is a word. wholesome recreation that most of us enjoy. Now, what was it like backstage at a fandom show? There's no hot tub. No, there's no hot okay. tub. You know, I tried to get one brought in, but they said I am now a thespian. Um, but uh, you know, backstage, it's um, everybody's getting ready for the show, and everybody, you know, it's very much a family, and it's a, a great experience for me because I can't say enough good about Live End, you know, which is the company that's uh, put the show on and has been really a, a tremendous boost to the economy. You know, I mean, the, the amount of people who bought tickets from the States and uh, just the exposure that they've given theater has been amazing. And again, I keep going back to the cast. They're just 
they're so talented and they're so supportive and uh, I'm a lucky guy. Absolutely. Has Gene uh, come up or Ace Gene or Peter? Uh, no, nobody's been up yet. Those uh, bastards, why not? Hey, that's what I said. Um, they're coming. They're definitely okay. all coming, but they've been very busy. Everybody's been kind of kicking back since the tour ended. And because uh, they must be proud of you, I'm sure you've. Oh heard yeah, something. everybody's been so supportive, you know. And, and uh, you know the band's been fabulous, and everybody checks in to see how I'm doing. Okay. And uh, it's you know it's great. This is really very exciting for me. Okay. Well, uh, Kiss is not over. It's sort of been the back burner for now because uh, I understand in October the Cyclist Circus tour resumes. We'll 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 get back in gear. But I'm not quite sure when. It could be October. It could be November. It could be December. But we're absolutely going back out. And uh, we'll be back here. We'll be in Toronto. Uh, we'll be in Montreal. We'll be in Vancouver. You know, we. Uh... And and on the big screen in August too with Detroit Rock City. Detroit Rock City, yeah. yeah. Detroit Rock City is really interesting because it's um, it's really not a Kiss film. It's much more a film about Kiss fans, and it's a about a, a the '70s experience of four fans trying to get to a Kiss concert. It's kind of like Fast Times at Ridgemont High meets Porky's as opposed to a hard day's night, you know. And there will be a soundtrack to come. I yeah. was just reading that in the news. Yeah, and there's a, a great single that we'll be releasing um, in July okay. that uh, a friend of mine wrote. It's just an awesome song called Nothing Can Keep Me From You. Okay. And uh, if you do go see the film, check out the backstage scene. The yeah. hot tub. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorites. Yeah, it's wholesome. <laughs> okay, and don't forget Phantom of the Opera here in Toronto. The Pantage is still... August 1st, and that features Paul Stanley. Um, good to see you again. Hey, it's always great to see you. Okay. So it's cool. I, you know, I bought a program, bought a T-shirt. You know, they gave you some um, additional pictures of of Paul as the as the Phantom, which I'll post. So again, it was a it was a great experience. I'm not sure how many people had the opportunity to do that. Um, made sense and was was relatively easy for us to do, uh, being so close here in Michigan. So this was just an example, again, of, you know, the advantage of living in Michigan and being a KISS fan. So now moving on to the band on the Bill Spotlight. So, you know, obviously talking about, you know, kind of a solo venture that, that Paul did outside of the band, I thought, you know what, let's, uh, let's talk about another solo venture that Paul did outside of the band. So let's talk about Paul's solo club tour from 1989 so no i did not get a chance to see this and i'll talk a little bit about the shows and obviously where they were he did 26 total shows and started off on february 15th 1989 at the stone ballroom in newark delaware and ended april 8th 1989 the palace in hollywood california so again mostly these dates were on the east coast the furthest west, not counting California, that he went was Roseville, Michigan, which was a suburb of Detroit. And then he played a handful of shows in California, so nothing in between. So think about that. So nothing basically from Michigan, you know, all the way to California and nothing in the southeast. So again, it was limited and there was no, no chance uh, that I was going to be able to, to see it. So I, you know, I had started to get into, you know, bootlegs there kind of in the, in the mid to late eighties and ended up getting a cassette bootleg of one of the two shows in Brooklyn 
at a club called Lamours. And speaking of two nights, so he played two nights there, and he played two nights in Roseville, Michigan, at the Ritz. I can remember, I still have the, the bootleg cassette uh, for this Lamore show. I think it was the second night. And here was the set list. I Stole Your Love, I Want You, Tears Are Falling, Tonight You Belong to Me, Come On and Love Me, Wouldn't You Like to Know Me, Heaven's on Fire, Hide Your Heart, I Still Love You, Crazy Nights, Reason to Live, Lick It Up, Let's Put the X in Sex, Love Gun, and ended the regular set with Goodbye, and then he encored Communication Breakdown, Led Zeppelin cover, and Detroit Rock City. So I can still, I can actually still remember, I think, listening to this up in my bedroom when it came, and really being blown away by the set list, which was really a preview of the Hot in the Shade tour that they ended up doing a year later. So, you know, interesting, I Stole Your Love. What's interesting about the version that he did on that tour is that they had that vocal delay uh, during the verses, and but leading up to the chorus, they didn't have the vocal delay, which I thought was... A little bit odd and obviously kiss took notice of this because they carried that opener into the hot in the shade tour and the other highlight was the inclusion of hide your heart
Paul talk about, you know, this is not, this hasn't been on any Kiss album. And I remember hearing it. And I think I, you know, based on the chorus, I hadn't heard it before. And I thought that the song was called Playing With Fire. And I remember asking my brother, like, do you know a song? I may have even played it for him and, and asked him if he knew and he, he didn't recognize it or know what it was. So, but Paul mentioned, you know, that people get copies of the demos and that type of thing. So on this bootleg, at the very end, whoever I got this bootleg from, they added that original Kiss demo of Hide Your Heart. And I loved the song the first time I heard it on this bootleg solo show and was very excited when I learned that it was going to be on the next KISS album. So again, looking back at this set list, you know, obviously there were some uh, deep cut classics in there, and he played three songs off of his 78 solo album, which was awesome. And he played Let's Put the X in Sex, which was off of the recently released Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits, which made sense. Um, to play that because Kiss never played it uh, electrically at least they've they've uh, played around with it uh, acoustically from time to time and but again looking at this here's here's what I would have done with this 17 song set so this is a Paul Stanley solo tour why not just play songs solely written by Paul and dump some of the songs obviously, that you would normally hear in a Kiss set. I mean, I thought, you know, keep a couple of those, but let's just focus on songs that were solely pinned by Paul. So, not a big fan of the song I Want You, um, so I would probably get rid of that. I'd get rid of Heaven's on Fire. I'd get rid of I Still Love You. Get rid of Crazy Nights. Get rid of Reason to Live. And get rid of Lick It Up. And... Also, I would dump the two songs in the encore. So that leaves I Stole Your Love, Tonight You Belong to Me, Come On and Love Me, Wouldn't You Like to Know Me, Hide Your Heart I would keep in there because that, um, that was a unique thing, playing an unreleased song that ends up being on the next album. So that leaves I Stole Your Love, Tears Are Falling, Tonight You Belong to Me, Come On and Love Me, Wouldn't You Like to Know Me, Hide Your Heart, Let's Put the X in Sex, and yes, I would keep that because that was off of the most recent release, and Kiss never played it live, plugged in. I'd keep Love Gun, obviously they play it at every show, but again, solely penned by Paul, so I would keep it, and I would keep the song Goodbye. So that leaves eight songs to fill in. So I read somewhere that Nowhere to Run off of the compilation Killers and move on off of his 78 solo album were rehearsed but were never played and so up through 1989 here are the other songs that were solely written by paul got to choose room service anything for my baby lover all i can tomorrow and tonight and magic touch so to replace the eight songs i would go with room service anything for my baby lover all i can Tomorrow and Tonight, Nowhere to Run, and instead of including Move On, which I know we rehearsed it, but you know they played that on the Dynasty Tour, so maybe not as 
as interesting. So instead, throw It's Alright and Love and Chains in there. And then you've got that 78 solo album very well represented. And you've got some other songs that are solely written by Paul in the set. And I, I know I left out Got to Choose and Magic Touch. He made up for that because he included those when he released Live to Win and went on tour supporting that album in 2006. That would have been a killer set list. And now on to a Slamfest tip of the week. So this experience of going to Toronto twice just for just for one night to see this Phantom of the Opera, you know, is almost a impulse, you know, type uh, trip and I think just shows, you know what, just go for it. Just do that type of stuff. And again, if there's anything that the last 14 months have have taught us, that everything can come to a screeching halt without warning. So as shows are starting to get announced again, and you know if you're debating whether or not to do something, just pull the trigger. Just go for it. And speaking of things to pull the trigger on... This August will rock as Rockin' Pod returns to Nashville. This annual convention brings together rock artists, fans, and podcasters for an unforgettable rock experience. Meet Billy Sheehan, Ron Keel, Ricky Rackman, Mark Goodman, Matt Pinfield, Don Jameson of That Metal Show, drum legends Carmine Apice and Vinny Apice, along with current and former members of Winger, LA Guns, Except, Roxy Blue, and more. Panels, signing sessions, and vinyl and memorabilia vendors, all available to you at Rockin' Pod. Music podcasters from all over North America will be appearing on site for live interviews, networking, and speaking sessions. Got a music podcast? Register and join us. Rockin' Pod Weekend kicks off with a pre-party concert featuring former Tesla guitarist Tommy Skio and his new band Resist and Bite. Plus, Ron Keel Acoustic, Rock United, and a rare hair set featuring many surprise guests. Rockin' Pod Weekend, August 6th through the 8th in Nashville, Tennessee. Tickets, VIP, podcaster registration, and discounted hotel rooms are available now at rockandpod.com. Rockin' Pod, brought to you by DBG Productions, Bradley Entertainment, and Incaptia. So now to close out this episode with a which side are you on? And since this episode has been a spotlight on Paul Stanley, why not do Paul Stanley's 1978 solo album? Released September 18, 1978, produced by Paul Stanley and Jeff Glicksman, charted at number 40 and is certified platinum so my background with this album i bought all of the kiss solo albums on vinyl and again i think it was you know late 70s when i when i did that and i'll talk a little bit more about it when we get into the songs but i mean there was one song in particular that I went uh, back to and, and listened to a ton 
and we will talk about that. So I can remember reading in a rock magazine, you know, sometime in the mid 80s and don't remember which one, don't have a copy of it, but they had, you know, they probably did this with different artists, you know, every month or however often the magazine came out, but they were doing Bruce Dickinson's top 10 albums. And I know how, this is going to probably sound crazy, and maybe it was a misprint, but he had the Paul Stanley solo album listed on there, which always blew me away, and I wish I had a copy of that magazine. Like I said, it may be a misprint, but I have that memory in my head. And then just overall, before we get into this album, I, I enjoy the majority of the songs on here. But I would say that Paul's voice was changing at this time. And, I mean, I, you can go back and, and watch some of the live footage from the Love Gun tour and even the Alive 2 tour. I, to be honest, I don't think Paul sounds that great. Obviously, Alive 2, you know, he sounded fine on there, and, and we all know why that is, but... I, I just, I don't know, there was something about, I you know, his voice, I think, was was either changing or it was just the results of touring nonstop uh, since 1973, 74, you know, time frame. So I think his vocal, for the most part, there are a couple exceptions, but, you know, it doesn't sound the same as some of the more recent uh, studio releases from Kiss. And the other thing on the production, I, I don't think there's enough high-end uh, in the production of this uh, this album. And of course, you know, this is the, uh, you know, even with Love Gun there, I mean, it's kind of the, the introduction of what's dubbed as the cassettes, you know, the female backing vocals that seem to show up on all of the, all of the solo albums. And so let's dive into side one. So it kicks off with Tonight You Belong To Me. Again, intro is awesome. His mellow vocal sounds amazing. And what's so funny, as a kid, was never great at you know hearing the lyrics and understanding what they're saying, but I can remember kind of later on, you know, that line of as time took its toll. <laughs> I always thought he said, it's time to get stoned, which, is ridiculous a because it's not something that Paul would <laughs> necessarily sing about but that's what I heard and then as the riff kicks in you know there's that underlying again it sounds like a keyboard maybe it's a backing vocal I, I guess I'm not sure to me it, it's really not needed I don't think it's uh, really adds anything to it you know during the the power chords during the verse that feedback is really awesome and, and the bass line is really really cool and prominent and it's it's that way kind of throughout this whole album but you know vocally it you know it almost sounds and i don't know if it's the key that he chose to to sing a lot of these songs in but he almost sounds you know nasally kind of stuffed up or you know where he's not not really going for it. I, I don't know. I don't know how to exactly explain this, and I'm probably going to get um, some hate mail on this, but that's just just what I hear and, and what I've heard since the first time I heard this album. And something else that'll be a kind of a repeating theme throughout this album is I feel like there are backing vocals 
where there don't necessarily need to be backing vocals and it you know it kind of sounds like there's there's quite a few layers of the harmonies and and to me at times I, I would think just just regular backing vocals you know without all the harmonies uh, would sound better again great guitar solo and during the outro when it's just Paul kind of doing those interjections and, and singing I think that sounds better than the kind of overloaded backing vocals track two move on riff is really cool but when i was just a baby mama sat me on her knee <sighs> i don't know <laughs> not a not a huge fan of that lyric uh chorus in this case i think there's some great great backing vocals in there breakdown is cool that you can hear that underlying piano back there which is great and of course there's a great guitar shout out prior to the solo and then during the outro of this song I don't know, Paul's interjections, uh, <laughs> they don't really do anything. Uh, again, it just doesn't sound great. Track three, Ain't Quite Right, one of the more unique Kiss-related songs in their entire catalog. You know, I wasn't sure really what to do with this song when I was younger, because it was so different. But as I got older, just a great groove. Vocal is good. Again, great bass line. Backing vocals, I don't know, again, too much, too many layers in there. And again, I get my comments on these backing vocals. I get it was the late 70s and that's what was in. Just not a huge, just not a huge fan of it. Track four, Wouldn't You Like to Know Me? Great, great song. Verse, instrument phrasing, you know, the drumming um, during the verse is, is just fantastic. Bridge is great. Chorus. You know, I guess the one drawback here is I think there's too much, too much backing vocal, too much harmonizing in there. Would have just preferred Paul to sing the uh, sing the chorus. But again, the underlying riff during the chorus is great, and I always loved the opening line of the second verse. You're good looking, so you get your way. You've been lucky, baby, not today. Great, great lyrics in this song, and again, great solo kind of back into that riff and my guess is that's Paul probably just pl playing that uh, riff when it comes out of the solo and then they go back into the chorus but overall great song Take Me Away together as one again mellow intro uh, and verse vocally I think he sounds great chorus again it kicks in and it kind of sounds like he's kind of limiting himself uh, to the, whatever key uh, he was in kind of similar to the uh, to the first song on this side again vocally uh, he just sounds like he's holding back and, and I'm not sure how else to, to describe that uh, the outro drumming is just amazing again I know there's a couple of drummers on here Carmine Apice I think is is on is on this song great great stuff so moving on to side two so it's all right so again I talked about including that song in the set list of his 89 solo tour and the reason because by far this is the best song on this album verse vocally one of his best performances period and I, you know i'm going to compare it to the verses of anything for my baby which i think he sounds amazing on as well it almost sounds like this was recorded uh, not only on a different day, but a different week, different month. I, there's just, there's, again, something different 
about his vocal on this song, and it just kicks ass, and I love it. And again, this to me sounds like the Paul Stanley from some of the previous um, studio albums that they had released. But the verse, melody, lyrics are great. Riff, bass line, breakdown, come on over here. The one, the one thing that's missing in this song is there's no guitar solo. Backing vocals are perfect, not overwhelming, not too many layers, you know, of the harmony. And that last It's All Right that he holds, fantastic. And the other great thing about this is it doesn't fade out. It just ends like it, like it's a live song, which, again, to me, would lend itself great to a live setting. Love, love, love that song. And I mentioned there was one song that I kept going back to when I was a kid. This was it. Now, unfortunately, track two of side two is the opposite end of the spectrum and is the worst song on this album. So, which doesn't make any sense. It was the only single from the album. So let me start out by saying I am a fan of the majority of Paul's written ballads. This one just doesn't hit the mark. And again, I know this is his first attempt at a kind of a true ballad in his career, but, you know, go back to Take Me Away Together as One and kind of use that as the ballad for this album and put another rocker in this in this slot is what I would have uh, done. I don't know, his, his clean vocal just doesn't do anything for me. I think the chorus is bad. Um, again, what key is he in? Seems like he's limiting himself. The one thing that is kind of interesting in this song, I think, is the are the backing vocals during the chorus are good. And, and the other highlight, there is a highlight of this song, is the solo. Fantastic, melodic solo. I enjoy that a lot. Next up, Love and Chains. Mentioned this as being in the set list for his 89 solo tour as well. Verse, good vocal, and riff sounds like a prelude, almost to stuff that you would end up writing in the 80s, at least at least to me. Chorus, backing vocals, again, too many harmonies. I do like the isn't it time kind of call and response. And then there's those pick slides kind of throughout the song, which is, which is pretty cool. And then the album inside ends with goodbye, which is fitting, obviously, with the, with the song title. Great lead melody during the intro. Again, another great bass line. Verse, call and response with the riff is very, very cool. Chorus is okay. Underlying lead melody during that chorus is good. But there's just, I don't know, there's something, something missing from the chorus. I, I know it's just basically Paul during the chorus, and I've been talking about not, not enjoying the backing vocals so much on this album. But here, I don't know, something, something missing. And then the solo kind of starts off with kind of Paul mimicking what the guitar is doing, which is interesting. You know, great vocal interjections kind of throughout this song. The breakdown, you know, the sing it part, backing vocals again, there's just too much uh, there. And then when it's Paul's doubled vocal, I hope that you'll know part, it just sounds so cool. And again, I just think they're missing they're they're overthinking this and and maybe should have double tracked his his vocal in some of these instances versus having uh too many layers of of backing vocals so anyway cool song though cool way to end the album 
So there are only nine tracks on here. So side one's got five and side two's got four. And again, it sounds like I'm bashing this album. There are just some things on it that I, I think limit it and, and keep it from being you know, really, really good. I mean, the songs, the foundations of these songs are great. I just, I just think they kind of overproduced um, some of them, and, and it would have been better if they, they would have kept them, kept them a little bit simpler. So as I mentioned, my favorite song leads off side two, and my least favorite song follows that track on side two. So maybe that does a, maybe that's a wash. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I've got to go with side one over side two. I mean, there's just more interesting stuff. There's just better stuff on side one as a whole. So I know I said It's All Right is my favorite song off of this album by far, but it can't carry the side, you know, by its by itself. There's there's too many other good songs on, on uh, side one. So I am going to go with side one over side two off of Paul Stanley's 1978 solo album. Did any of you see the run of Phantom of the Opera at the Pantages Theater in Toronto from May 25th to August 1st of 1999 or September 30th through October 31st of 1999 with Paul Stanley starring in the title role? If so, when did you see it? And what were your thoughts, memories, or stories from that night? What are your thoughts on musicals in general? What are some of your favorites? And what about Paul Stanley's solo tour from 1989? Did you get lucky enough to see one of those shows? If so, when and where? And what were your thoughts, memories, or stories from that show? What did you think of the set list? Would you have made any changes? And last but not least, what are your thoughts on Paul Stanley's solo album from 1978? Side one or side two? Let us know your thoughts by emailing us at slamfestpodcast at gmail.com or request to join our private Facebook page at Slamfest Podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time. <laughs>